our Valentine's celebration last night rather than tonight, like we typically would have and stuff. And we were reminiscing and uh, realized that we'd spent 20 Valentine's days together. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed in 20 years of being with Kat is um, something that I feel like the Lord brought to mind last night, really the value of a timely I love you. And, uh, and this is what I think the Lord has kind of put on my heart to share today, uh, really the value of a timely I love you. And maybe you've noticed this before at some point in the past, uh, but not all I love yous are created equal, right? And there are times in your relationship over 20 years, there have been times you come in and I may say the words, hey, I love you, or, uh, or we throw that out there quickly. And there's times that it can just kind of bounce off of our mind, bounce off of our heart, not really penetrate very deeply. And then there's other times when it just seems like it's the perfect moment and it's the perfect time when maybe you're prepared, maybe you're just, it's a disappointing season. Uh, maybe you're coming home and you're shattered by pain. Maybe it's just a, you're in isolation or lonely or whatever it may be. And that person comes in and they say the words to you in a way that, that reaches you in a very deep and profound way. It's the value of a timely, I love you. And my hope and prayer for us this morning, I'm going to get into some scriptures in just a minute here, but my hope and prayer is that wherever you may be, that this would be a timely I love you for you, that God through his Holy Spirit would reach you um, through what he's going to show us today in his word right here, and that he would give you a very, very timely assurance of his love, a very timely I love you. And some of you may be there in the middle of that place. You may be in isolation. Uh, you may be alone. Uh, it may be one of those seasons that's just been unbelievably difficult, um, a lot of tension. Uh, maybe you felt very disappointed. I was talking with a men's group a little while ago, and they were saying the times that I need to feel uh, love or I need to hear it. I'm never going to express it to other people. I'm never going to say that out loud. But the times that I need to do that are the times that I feel most disappointed in myself. And that could be where you are. My hope and prayer is that this morning is that you would experience a very timely I love you from the Holy Spirit that's deeply rooted in the truth of the gospel. And so I just want to read you a few verses from Romans 5. I'm not going to preach the whole thing to you or anything like that, but that is where we've been. Romans 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 to you this morning. And, um, and I don't know if you're following along. If you can follow along, that's even better. If not, uh, I'll read it slow. And I want us to really let these words sink in, that we can receive these things from the Holy Spirit. But this is the series that we've been in. If you're just joining us and I do want us to understand the context of Romans. That's why I repeat it every single week, uh, that we can get very familiar with this thing and kind of understand what God is teaching us in this whole thing. And so Romans is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Um, it's all about the gospel. It's uniting the Jewish believers with the Gentile believers and uniting them around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first couple chapters, he's getting into the big picture problem of, of uh, humanity. He's talking about the problem of sin, how devastating it is out into the world. That's the end of chapter one. It's all the they language. Chapter two is the mirror uh, with the religious people. We look into it and you say, okay, this problem of sin, this brokenness and humanity, it's here in the church too. It's there with you. Look at yourself. Don't just be hypocritical, right? It, it cripples us as well. Chapter three begins to turn the page a little bit. And uh, this is where he kind of comes in with the good news. And he basically says, here's the good news about it all. There's a lot of brokenness, but he says, even though there's none who are righteous, not even one person. He says, the righteousness of God is available through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. He says that in chapter 3, verse 22. And this is the thing that's hard for, again, religious people, most people in the world, it's really, really difficult to believe that righteousness in front of God can be yours and mine. 
simply by God's grace, undeserved favor, received only by faith, not religious perfection, right? Not, not getting everything right, not, not being perfectly moral, never making ma major mistakes, being better than other people, but the righteousness of God can be yours simply on the basis of faith. And so chapter four is improving that case, and he kind of gets into the anatomy of faith. And we talked about this trust transfer that needs to take place, whereby we move from standing on our own feet of righteousness, essentially, right? We, we, we make a transfer of trust from standing our, on our own two feet to resting totally and completely in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a substitute for you. That's saving faith in a nutshell. And he proves that point in chapter four, and he's saying, in as much as you have made that transfer of trust, <laughs> you go from whatever it may be, it, maybe it's a faith and religion kind of a thing. Maybe you're standing on one leg and not necessarily two legs. Uh, maybe you're better, whatever your, your thing may be. In as much as there's a legitimate transfer of trust, you have the righteousness of God. And so it's first that the whole chapter is spent proving that point. And chapter five is getting into the implications of that beautiful, beautiful reality that God has loved you and given you his righteousness. And so he begins chapter five with the word therefore. And as we know, if you're a student of God's word, every single time you see the word therefore, you circle it, you highlight it, you look back and you say, what is this therefore, right? And, um, and so that's how he begins chapter five. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is the verse that we use all the time. We do it in our Romans road. We share this all the time. But while we were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And what he's saying here is that God's love for you and for humanity is completely different than anything else we've ever seen. And he acknowledges this in verse seven. He says, look, in, in, in the context of humanity, you're going to find really, really good people. You're going to find heroic people that are going to love people that don't, that, that are good people. He's like, in some cases, in verse seven, he says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. In other words, it doesn't happen very often that you're going to die for someone good. However, perhaps for a very good person, one might die. In other words, there's some heroic people. There's a mother that may lay down her life uh, for the child that she loves. There may be uh, a military friend who's willing to lay down his life for his brothers and for his sisters uh, that are right there, kind of like Braveheart. I'm willing to give my life for the person that I love. Every now and then that we see that dynamic take place, uh, in the context of humanity. But what he's saying is God is so much different. And the reason he's different is because he doesn't just wait for you to be his friend. He doesn't wait for you to clean it all up. He doesn't wait for you to earn it. He doesn't wait for you to deserve it. He says, no, 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 no. While we were still weak, God's word says in verse six, he says, while you're weak, I don't know if anybody's feeling weak today. Uh, in, the middle of, in, in the middle of your inability to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in and of your own strength, this is what he's saying. He meets you while you're weak. Uh, while we were still sinners, and he says in verse 8, in other words, when we wanted nothing to do with him, when we were running from him, it wasn't the case where he's running from us or anything like that, but while we were running from him, we wanted nothing to do with him. When we were heart of heart, when we were rebelling against him, 
rejecting him and our sin. In the middle of that place, God fixed his love on you and me. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to die the death that we were supposed to die, that we could live with him for all of eternity. And so this is the extent of God's love for you. And my again, my hope is that is that right now in this moment that you would take something that you've heard a thousand times over and over and over again, and that this would be a very, very timely reminder of his love for you. At the beginning of this thing, he says, as a result of what God has done for us in Jesus, and as a result of um, that moment in time nearly 2,000 years ago, he's going to say, we have peace with God. And this is something that we can take to the bank right now. You are at peace with the Father. I don't know that we really think about it a whole lot all the time, but he's saying like, like this is an objective reality that we can walk in right now. You are at peace with the Father. This is what he says in verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're in Christ, there's no longer any hostility between you and the Father. Right? His wrath against our sin has been eternally satisfied. Um, the word that I keep using, it, it's found in ch chapter three, but it's this big a churchy word that's a really weird one, but it's the word that he uses right there is propitiation. And he says this in chapter three, he says, we have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, who's put forward by God the Father, what, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And what that means is that uh, the word literally means to satisfy one's wrath uh, or anger or, uh, or sense of judgment, right? This is what Jesus is. is. He is he is satisfying the wrath of God against our sin through his sacrifice upon the cross. And so it's a real word. It's a real weird word. It's a word that may not make a whole lot of sense, especially if we can only think of God in terms of him being loved. This is how much of the world thinks about him today. This is kind of our default way. God is a God of love, which he absolutely is. And we know through the rest of scripture that he's a lot more than that. He's holy. He's just. He's perfectly righteous. He is the perfect and just judge. And so we see this dynamic play out at the cross. We see this dynamic play out in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that because God is holy, our sin is a problem, right? Holy can have nothing to do with unholy. Because he's holy, our sin is a problem. Because he is just, our sin has to be judged. Because the wages of sin is death, right? There has to be blood. But because God is also love, God in his infinite love sent his one and only son to come and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to be the propitiation for our sins, that the just and righteous uh, wrath of God against sin can be satisfied and that we can live right now at peace with him. And this is why Mark is going to say in the gospel that when Jesus breathed his last, he's going to make this weird observation. He's going to say, you know what, when Jesus breathed his last, that giant curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, that giant 60-foot curtain, four inches thick. He's like, that thing was ripped in two from top to bottom, signifying an act of God whereby he was giving us access to the holy of holies through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Literally and historically, that thing was torn in two at the time of Christ's death. And he did that to show us that we now have peace through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so today, I don't know exactly how we're feeling. I don't know what we're thinking or anything like that, but um peace feelings of peace i would say are really really good um but what he's saying right here is the only reason that we're able to experience the peace of god today is again because peace with god has been made first and foremost and again this is something that we can take to the bank and i think it needs to be said because i think one of the assumptions that is often made about religion in general is that one of the primary purposes of religion one of the primary purposes of christianity why we do church why we do community is to bring about these feelings of peace 
right? And it's why you hear things like, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's fantastic that Jesus works for you. So glad that you're a Christian. I'm glad that that thing works for you, that that's what you do. My thing is really meditation or yoga or long hikes in the wood, woods or tall glasses of wine or diffusing essential oils or whatever that thing is. Like those are the things that make me feel most at peace. And of course the assumption is that, uh, you know, you know the, the, the end goal is peace, whatever you do, whether it be religion or singing or whatever we do here at the church, like the end goal is peace. And so whatever it takes to make you feel at peace is the highest end. Um, and, but we know that that's not necessarily the case. We know that being, with, being at peace with God is so much better than simply feeling at peace with God. Those are two very, very different things. And, and what, what Paul's showing us right here is that, like, no, 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 you can know because you know because you know you are at peace with the Father through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. I think we'd much rather have um, the reality of being at peace with God than simply fleeting momentary feelings of peace uh, that come and go at any, at any given time, right? I mean, if uh, what would you rather have? Um, peace because you've avoided the doctor, you didn't want to hear what was actually going on, um, or peace because you actually got the diagnosis back and you realize, hey, your scans are completely clean and you are at you, you, you do have health. I don't think there's really any comparison between those two things. I mean, I want to know that my scans are clean. I want to know that things are okay. I want to know that there is actual peace going on here. And it's exactly what Paul is saying right here in his word. As you stand before holy God, like your scans are clean. Your scans are clean. Like you have peace with the Father. If you're covered in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you're covered in the blood of the Lamb, you are at peace with the Father. You have crossed from death into life. You have been washed by his blood. You've been justified and declared totally righteous before holy God. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of salvation. You've been given the right to be called a child of God. Verse 2 says, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, this undeserved favor, not just for salvation, but right now. There is an undeserved favor that we have before this holy God. J.I. Packer describes it as a favor that a child has with his father, right? Which is different from the father of a friend or anyone else's father. But he says that a child has a unique favor with the father who loves him simply on the basis of him being his child. That child knows that they can just go in and they can interrupt them whenever, uh, when they typically wouldn't interrupt other people. They can jump on them. In the middle of the day, they, they can blindside them and hit them with a pillow. They can wrestle with them, right? They can play with them. They can tickle them. They can do all these things. This is what Caleb does. I come home and, and, and the dude is like hiding behind a corner and he blindsides me because lays me out. And all he wants to do is just wrestle and play. And he's saying like, this is the joy that a kid has. This is the security. This is the kind of favor that, that, that our heavenly father has with us because of Jesus Christ, simply on the basis of being a child of God. And so again, church, I just want to come and just remind you, like, we, we don't have to let our feelings determine our faith today. We don't have to let our feelings determine our faith. We don't have to let our feelings d d tell us, you know what, God is so angry that he's running from you today. He's got his back turned on you towards today. Uh, he, he wants nothing to do. He's perpetually hostile and angry or that he's disappointed with you. That, that, that he wants nothing to do with you in this moment, that he's hiding or he's ashamed of who you are, whatever the thing may be. Like we can, we can let our faith, which is deeply rooted in the truth of God's word, it's deeply rooted in the truth of the gospel right here. We can let our faith determine our feelings. I love the way Tony Evans says this. He says, when we allow our faith to be defined by our feelings, we'll often be confused. Faith must have an objective standard by which it is defined, which is truth. 
In fact, when faith operates by an objective standard of truth, it'll eventually dictate our emotions rather than the reverse. And I think this is the opportunity that is before us today. We can sit here today and we can objectively look at the reality that God has uh, of what he has done for us in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can let the reality of having peace with God fuel our ability to have peace from him today. And so I think this is the opportunity that's before us today. We can sit here today and we can be absolutely assured of his love because of what Jesus has done for us today. And again, my hope is that someone today, wherever you may be, that this would just be a very, very timely reminder uh, and a timely, I love you essentially in your place. And some of you may be there and you may be in isolation. You could be, a, you could be alone. It could be in the middle of bad news. Um, it could be in the middle of wandering. It could be in the middle of disappointment and you're kind of sitting there going, you know what? Um, like, I don't feel like I'm lovable right now. I, I, I feel like if, if, if I were God, I would want to run from me too. And just what he's saying right here, you can be assured that there is peace with him. You can be assured of his love today. So my hope is that you'll be able to sit there, that this would be a very timely reminder of God's love for you and that you would hear that from him today, the words, I love you. Um, I also hope is that wherever you may be, maybe you've got kids in your home or, or um, maybe it's a family member or something around you that you, would, uh, that you would take a moment today that you would share a very, very timely I love you with someone around you today. That is something that this, this day and this holiday could remind us of, but this is exactly what uh, the gospel reminds us of every single day. You are loved in Jesus Christ, that you can go in and share that reminder with someone today. But I love you guys. Um, <laughs> wish we could see each other in person. I'm really, really grateful that we get to do this in Zoom and uh, see a little bit of your faces here. And uh, we will catch up again a little bit later this week, but I wanna go ahead and pray for us. Uh, we'll talk about some reminders and stuff from there. But Father, um, I just wanna say thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. God, thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we don't have to run by how we feel on a momentary basis. Father, we can always come back to the truth of your word and be reminded of exactly where we stand before you today. And God, I do pray for that person that came in and Maybe they are in need of a timely reminder that you love them, God, and that there's peace between them and the Father. Father, I pray that you would bring that reminder to them today. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would let your body rise up and be the body around us, God, that we would be the vehicles of, of love in our families, in our homes. God, that you would give a father conviction to come and to say those words to his spouse today, to say those words to a kid who's in need of that reminder. Father, I pray that that would go out. God, that you'd be glorified in those things too. Lord Jesus, we simply just say thank you. God, um, you've accomplished everything that we need on our behalf and we couldn't do it for it. We couldn't do it, God. We were weak. We were sinners. We didn't want anything to do with you, God. We couldn't come to you in and of our own self. God, you came to us. You sent your son Jesus to come and to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death that we were supposed to die. And so Father, uh, we simply say thank you for that today. Would you fill us with that reminder of love? God, would you let us rest in that today? Uh, God, thank you for this time we get to have at home. Lord, I pray that we would just soak in um, the peace. God, that we would be able to experience it today. God, give us that rest. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen and amen.